0: Welcome to the Maritime Podcast, you're listening to Marcus Hand, Editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Today we are in conversation with Abu Dhabi Ports Group on World Maritime Day. The World Maritime Day is celebrated annually and provides an opportunity to focus attention on the importance of shipping and other maritime activities. This year's theme of seafarers at the core of shipping's future resonates with anyone involved in this industry and never more so over the past 18 months of the pandemic. In this episode, the chairman of C-Trade Maritime, Chris Heyman, speaks to Captain Anmar El Shaiba, managing director Zayed Port, an acting CEO of Port's operating company, and Kim Larson, vice president of commercial and business development of Port's AD Ports Group. This fascinating conversation puts focus on how Abu Dhabi Ports has responded to the past 18 months what 2022 looks like, and also how the plight of seafarers is taken very seriously by Abu Dhabi ports. The interview also puts some spotlight on how Abu Dhabi Maritime Academy, the training academy of Abu Dhabi ports, continues to bring UAE Emiratis into the maritime sector.
1: Thank you very much. And welcome to this podcast. It's a great opportunity to talk to two very senior representatives of AD Ports Group at a time when the global supply chain is facing, if you like, a perfect storm driven by surging demand for goods, supply disruptions. We're seeing this unique situation manifest in a variety of different ways. Of course, profitability for the container companies. We're seeing long queues outside individual ports around the world. We're seeing a very challenging logistics problem for the globe. So, Kim, I'd like to address my first question to you. Given the scale and nature of this situation, how has AD Ports
2: itself overall been affected, and what has your response been just to set the stage for it, I think it's a super, super relevant question, especially in these times, because it's actually, let say, a situation that has affected more than just the container trade. So while we can talk a lot about the lack of containers and, and container prices going materially up, and we're talking about a shipping industry, primarily the container operators that have record earnings, I think it's also important to say that the impact of it has impact across all shipping, but I would say also other modes of transport. Simply for the increase in demand, as you were talking about, that the stock levels that has been required to be built up on a much higher scale for basically around the world, but in particular for Europe or the US markets, that has, of course, created this extra bubble that we never had before, especially in container shipping. So we have always been in a situation where there has constantly been overcapacity, too many vessels, too many equipment everywhere. And now all of a sudden being in a situation where there's simply not enough and prices are going sky high, also for operators as such. If you want to go and charter a vessel, you can't. There simply isn't a vessel to take. And if there is a vessel, you've got to pay five times the price for it on a daily basis. So it is a very, very particular situation we're having. And if you take containers specifically, then uh, obviously we have our flagship port, the Khalifa port, which we have uh, under expansion so we have just, uh, as I've recently signed up, a new concession agreement. And I think, let's say, just to illustrate that that we have, uh, let's say, ongoing matters related to the expansion of a port at the same time that you actually have a bit of a crisis going on around shipping. What we have seen, let's say, regarding container volumes, what we have seen for our clients of uh, container business is that we have seen two things. First of all, there was simply not enough capacity. There was not enough containers So our customers have also been affected by it. We should not be naive and say it doesn't have anything to do with rates. But obviously, when the shipping companies, they realize that they can have $10,000 per TU between China and the U.S. West Coast or maybe to the European Northwest continent versus maybe getting a third of that price into India or maybe into the Gulf then obviously prioritization has also taken place on a global scale. We, of course, don't control ocean freight, but obviously we are trying to come up with alternative solutions. So what we actually had to do in in time was to try and look for alternative solutions where we could work together with our clients. And some of our clients actually had to divert business away from containers and actually go back to originally general cargo or bulk so simply for the mere fact that you couldn't get the service, you couldn't get the space and you couldn't get the equipment in order to get it moving. But I do see that a lot of our shipping companies, because they also have a home in Khalifa port, they still serve the market. They still serve the local clients. But obviously, it's been a very, very tight situation for, I would say, all clients. And I think no port, no trade has not been impacted. Some of it worse than others, right? I think the good thing for us is that we have a hub port, similarly to, to neighboring ports here in the region, where you still have a running service so it's not that you could not get your imports. It's not that you couldn't get your product. Because the prices went very, very high, all of a sudden you saw this alternative inflow of cargo being converted back to bulk, or maybe some of it would be going air freight or you know other alternative means, or sourcing would simply be different, right? So for instance, when you look at certain product groupings that may traditionally have come from other areas, we at least saw that the market out of, let's say, the near market, so to speak would become a lot more attractive. So we are in food stuff, we are talking medical, pharmaceuticals, we are talking also for manufacturing purposes. So also markets like India became much more strong for the UAE, it's just to name a few things. So what we also did as our report is that last year we launched our own feeder company as well to ensure that there would also be, let's say, an alternative to the existing players to make sure that you had a constant flow of capacity running. Between some of these key ports, supporting, of course, clients who wanted to make use of it simply for the mere fact that it couldn't be supplied by other shipping companies at the very moment. So we're just trying to make sure that there is still coverage. There are alternative gateways. But I would, of course, say that, of course, we have been impacted by COVID like any other port in the world and also as as a nation, obviously. But the resources here in the UAE are, of course, also in in a way so that we've been able to actually make use of the partnerships that we have created to still maintain a certain structure. So we we never ran out of capacity, neither did our neighboring terminals. And we didn't have a long queue in front of our ports or anything like that. In fact, you know, we would have needed more. So it was more that lack that, that led to the conversion, so to speak, but no queues, no congestion. It was more of a steady flow. So I would say, if you look around the nation here, we have not had real shortage that you may have seen in other places as well. But there's no doubt we have faced the same situation because we have been in a situation you know, where the supply time all of a sudden went up to be you know, three times as high as it normally would. Indeed, our customers have suffered from that respect. You talked about
1: some of the ways in which the logistics system has adapted to the current circumstances, the use of other modes of transport to combine with sea freight rail and air freight as well. You talked about some really innovative solutions. We hear about major shippers seeking the solution of chartering container ships themselves, whole ship charters. We've seen the idea of loading containers onto a bulk carrier as one extreme solution to this situation. You talked also about the sourcing of goods that has been affected, too, by the impact of the current circumstance. How many of these changes do you think are simply short-term expedients, and how many may be adopted as long-term solutions when the supply-demand balance moves into closer equilibrium?
2: I think we have all taken a lot of learnings uh, during this period of time. I would say probably some of the examples that you have mentioned, if I just talk about Using uh, you know bulk vessels for containers, or or you know that the shippers themselves went into a market which was not their core uh, core expertise per se. I mean, I would probably suggest that these ones would be of of more short term nature, because the fact is still that you have a lot of these large corporations. They don't. They are not a shipping company per se. They may have the cargo and they may have a demand, but filling up a vessel on a constant rotation between ports where you don't have an operational agreement. So you end up in the back of the queue compared to all the big operators, and your scale of economy will always be less than some of the very big operators who have the largest vessels and the biggest network, and they're all very established. So I do think that because the prices are so crazy right now, then you actually can afford to pay crazy money by taking some control of your own destiny. But you're still suffering from the same congestion, right? So if you're trying to get in between uh, you know, Shanghai to Los Angeles, you're going to be waiting as vessel number 65 and get into the port maybe, you know, three weeks later. So I think at the end of the day, it doesn't resolve the problem because it still is a congestion. It still is a bottleneck. You still have limited resources and limited trucks, limited rail, limited many things, right? So I think when things come back to a normality, which could take, you know, another year, and maybe what is normality when we get back to that? But I do believe there will be a different kind of balance. But if you look at what will be the immediate solutions that will be adapted now, I think near sourcing, I think companies will stock level of the supply chains will look differently in the future. There will be less dependency on, you know, just-in-time deliveries. There will be more maybe stocks in between in strategic locations. We hope, of course, that Abu Dhabi could be one of those locations where we strategically also will hold a hub uh, situation, a hub port. Jeff could also be the case, right? but we as a nation, we would like to be a distribution center for a lot of different product groups, right? which we're also trying to expand on. Could we make sure that we are the guarantee also for supplies of different products around the world? And maybe there are other ports that wants to do the same thing. But I do think the supply chain will be different in the future. But at least here, you can say the good thing for us is that we both have three airports within a very, very short distance of the port. We will have in 2023, we will have the rail network across the nation as well. We have an already you know super built-out infrastructure for road transport and everything else and also a lot of let's say warehousing and distribution opportunities especially across the nation it's, it's super super strong so i do think that we're sitting on capabilities where we can really help all our neighboring countries is one thing but certainly also making sure that there is a connection point to the rest of the world i think the supply chain is the key in your question because i think this is definitely what's going to change and i think the dependency on Maybe certain nations will be less so in the future. I think companies will start to strategize around making the production nationally or they will at least have more near sourcing or countries that is nearby rather than depend on, on the long haul. And I think, let's say, if you look at shipping, it's always, and I'm sorry to say a little bit historical that history will repeat itself. We're looking at an order book. On vessels and new vessels and containers and things coming out in the in three, four, five years, right? which will, in my view, end up with a huge influx of capacity at more or less the same time. So that will also trigger a new situations where rates will fall down again and you get back to a normality. That's why I think maybe for the next foreseeable future, rates will not just be you know going down to what it used to be two years ago. I don't think so. But I do think that, let's say moving a little bit further out into the future, you will see, Rates will calm down again because the demand, you know, supply balance will be more up there. And I think, let's say, whoever has been managing in this period over the last year and certainly a year or two ahead of us, they can become the winners of actually, you know, who will lead the next evolution in terms of actually managing the supply chain for a lot of customers. I think the big containers moving on bulk vessels, I really do believe that's a very short term thing.
1: I would think so too. But very interesting answer, Kim, a couple of things that I'd like to pick up from what you just said, near sourcing, first of all, the logical implication of near sourcing means less demand for ton miles, a reduction in ton mile demand. Do you think that that will have a dramatic effect post pandemic, post this current market situation? And if so, on what kind of scale?
2: I think the transition to the near sourcing, I think it will take time, right? Because again, who will have the production facilities? Who can ensure the supply? And, and what are we talking about? Is it food stuff or is it is it other elements, right? I think there are certain things that probably can be transitioned more easily, right? And if you're talking about, especially during the COVID situation, where, where you can say the necessary supplies was the key focus. So it's still about making sure that people can can buy their food and they can still go to the supermarket. But certainly is also about pharmaceuticals and protective gear, masks and everything else for everybody. But of course, there's also the fundamentals of the business itself. I think this time around, you didn't get to it, right? So the raw materials that went into manufacturing of uh, different products was not covered. And I think, you know, if you want to transition the big, uh, heavy industry or, you know, microchips for cars or, or other things as well, if you want to move that away from the current facilities, it will take a long time to build up a new industry. So I'm not fully convinced that when you look at industrial products and big scale uh, production will necessarily change away from where it is today, because I simply think there are too much money and too many things at stake. But when it comes to more basic product groups, I think it can move relatively fast. So your sourcing of uh, pharmaceuticals, your sourcing of uh, necessary goods to to make things running, I think that can be transitioned in, in very, very few years where all of a sudden you will see less uh, maybe transport of of foods and, 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 and other necessities are not going to be moving from Far East to Europe or Far East to the US. It's actually going to be a lot more in the US and it will come from South America, it will come from somewhere else. But there will be a different kind of market dynamic as I see it. So I think that will definitely change the pattern, especially if you talk about container shipping, right? So while all the huge vessels are going into certain trade routes, you may actually have a demand that actually goes in a different direction. So maybe more north-south, that could actually be more. And I'm not saying that, you know, necessarily that Africa in particular maybe have all the full infrastructure tomorrow to be able to deal with that. And neither does South America, but some changes are happening, right? But I do think, especially within Europe, within the U.S., and certainly the intra-Asian market, it will be a different dynamics. And I think we'll be sitting on overcapacity again. My best guess is we'll definitely be back to an overcapacity situation. And then, of course, it'll be a lot more about the logistics players rather than the shipping companies. Who can actually deliver the best end-to-end solutions in the last-mile deliveries? And that is that connectivity you were talking about before. Who can actually put it all together in terms of effective shipping together with rail and maybe other means of transport, of course.
1: You mentioned rail there, and you mentioned Etihad Rail, the 2023 start date for the full service you mentioned. Talk us through a little bit the... 80 Ports' relationship with uh, Etihad Rail and what kind of a difference that is going to make to your business.
2: It's a fantastic project for the UAE as a whole, and it's of course a federal uh, project. Uh, so of course I'm not going to speak on their behalf, but I'll take the angle from Abu Dhabi Ports. Is of course that we see this as a very wonderful opportunity to really go into the multimodal expansion of our product selling for for clients. So what we can offer, let's say for for shipping companies coming into in particular Khalifa Port. But it could, we also have a concession in Fujera where we also have on-dock rail. For those two locations, you now have options of actually using port services that can come into Fujera, cover the full UAE market via rail directly, but also into the Saudi and GCC countries as the uh, rail network will expand. The same goes for Khalifa Port. But obviously, you can say it's a new option for any client coming into the UAE. So, whatever port you're going to, but primarily the ones that I mentioned, Jebel Ali as well, of course you know, they will all have this option of offering the rail as an opportunity. And I think, you know, the big future for us in the UAE is, of course, if we can win into the Saudi market, that will be, of course, a major shift for us uh, because it can add scale to our ports, but at the same time also offer, you know, additional uh, business into uh, into Saudi that we don't have today. The challenge in the UAE is obviously that we don't have huge distances. So if you compare it to traditional uh, rail services in Europe, you, you typically need 300 kilometers distance to really make it competitive with trucking. So I do think it's a mindset shift we also need. And we haven't been used to rail in the UAE as well. There are aggregates and other commodity groups that can benefit from rail, but certainly also containers and other trade routes. I think it's a matter of time when we find that optimal connectivity. And especially because they're so linked directly in with the ports, I think we have a real chance of still making it very economically attractive. And also fast, regular service, which is also what the clients are looking for. So I think maybe less trucks on the roads and more effective transport and shorter distance distribution from these particular locations where the rail terminals will be served. So I do foresee that it will actually be a real game changer from more and more intensive truck driving in the UAE that you're actually going to see a conversion factor, which will help environmentally, of course, also, but essentially will, will help the full package of what we are offering to clients. So we're working very, very closely with Etihad Rail. To establish, you know, what would be the future platform for trading in a competitive and sustainable manner.
1: You mentioned earlier on that you expect to see a closer balance between supply and demand. And certainly during this year, we've seen quite an uptick in uh, orders for new container ships, albeit in the smaller sizes rather than the mega ships, which have been the popular size category in recent years. But you also talked about the concept of just-in-time, which has been you know, something of a mantra for the global logistics business. Do you think as a result of the experiences which the supply chain has been through in these past months, that this idea, this principle of just-in-time may in future be set to one side and that a more cautious approach will be adopted in the future and that that cautious approach is really here to stay for the long term
2: I really think so personally right but of course I cannot speak for all the companies who of course all of a sudden will be in a situation where they have to bear the brunt of the capital you will tie up in a longer supply chain right and the fact that you may have to care let's say carry a big stock level of certain uh, of certain products because you cannot you cannot risk to run short again. I think there will clearly be some industries, as we have seen it here, could be the automotive industry, it could be many other industries as well, that definitely have been faced with the fact of losing significant amount in sales. So this fact of actually losing sales because you simply cannot produce the last part of that product and bring it to marketplace, which even brings their own situation uh, to an even worse position from where they were before. And I think the lesson learned might be that they, for a period of time, will carry an overstock right, of these product groups that they, or these components that they would be lacking at this very moment. But whether it will shift everything away from just in time, at least I, I think it's going to last for a long time, that you cannot rely on the same supply chain as you have today. And I think in particular corridors, we can, of course, look at the U.S. West Coast. Will the U.S. West Coast operation, will that remain the same after we have seen this, or will some changes have to take place? I think at least there will be some big decisions to make in a lot of countries, like whether it would be in Santos, Brazil, or it would be, I mean, there are many, many places where they have really, really, really severe congestion. And it, it causes either you increase your costs like crazy, because you have to uh, invest in a lot more manpower, trucks, rail, everything, and just up your capacity. But then you also know you run the risk that at some moment in time, you're going to run out of that, this demand you're seeing right now. So what's the right decision? And I think for a lot of manufacturers, they will look at a different kind of supply chain. Maybe they will spread their supply chain over several hubs, maybe several locations, so that at least they are more risk-free. So I think more money will be put into that supply chain risk or, let's say, how to minimize the risk. And I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. So this is probably how I would read it. I don't think just in time will go away. I really don't because it's so ingrained in our business, right? But on the other hand, I also think that some companies have suffered so dearly from not having the product or having the components that they're gonna be forced to do uh, alternative thinking. So it's a really hard question to ask, but, uh, but I think that this is how it's gonna go.
1: Kim, thank you very much for the moment. And perhaps we can come back to you a little bit later on in this discussion. But I'd now like to turn to Captain uh, Amar, managing director of his port within AD ports group. Captain Amma, we've been talking about one of the causes of the current challenge for the supply chain as being congestion in ports and also in certain specific instances. A couple of Chinese ports have suffered terminal closure as a result of the COVID pandemic. This has been obviously a major challenge over the last 18 months for the port sector around the world. I know it's something that you have spent a lot of time and energy thinking about what has you been your strategy to keep the terminals operating and your workforce and your customers safe
3: yes indeed uh, it's, it's become evident uh, to us uh, quite earlier on that technologies with proof and valuables and mitigating the impact of COVID nineteen across our operations and with compliance of our uh, government directions to ensure the workplace are fully protected in accordance to covid 19s precautions and requirements. Abu Lobby Ports groups responded to the challenge with the deployment of sanitation facilities and the new procedures, including the daily sterilizations of the port areas and industrial assets. This has included the introductions of uh, temperature screening checkpoints thermal scannings of arriving seafarers, signage processing, and rapid testing centers across our facilities. Also, part of our response included the advancements of our digital platforms, which comprise of remote attendance systems for the non-essential staff, off-site access to our back-end instructions and services, as well as a tool enabling remote management of our facilities. Over the course of pandemics, we introduced several relief packages to assist our ports and industrial customers in weathering the challenging economic landscapes. It's also laid the foundations for economic recoveries in the wake of COVID-19. Relief measures including waiving fees on late license renewal, reductions in utilities payments, and rent departments. This is, of course, yani, enables our customers to continue operating their businesses throughout the pandemics without interruptions and without the needs of engaged in physical contacts.
1: That's a very interesting and very full answer, Captain. How many of those changes are short-term responses to the pandemic and how many of them would you adopt permanently in the operation of your ports?
3: Of course, the pandemics that we take a yeah, number of steps in advance to ensure that customer service uh, it will be uh, implemented all the times, and also to ensure port operations it will be continued to run 24/7 for all the customers that we will do have and to serve them within within the port operations. This is uh, steps, and it will uh, some of it it will uh, continue with us uh, even after the pandemic is over and of course that will uh, give us the methodologies of how to perform the digital and to change the numbers of the post-operation methodologies as we did during the pandemic. I'd like to
1: now to turn our attention to the IMO and as you well know Captain, the IMO's theme for this year is seafarers at the core of shipping's future. A recognition of the vital role the seafarers play in the successful operation of the shipping industry, we can all agree about that, and how that role has really been highlighted over the last 18 months. Abu Dhabi and the UAE are prominent members of the IMO and take a very active role in its uh, deliberations. I'd like therefore to ask you a little about how AD Ports has responded to the very specific challenge which the pandemic has uh, created for seafarers' welfare in the way in which it has imposed restrictions on seafarers' travel, ending up with some very unfortunate and challenging situations for individuals stuck at sea for many, many months. How has uh, AD Ports responded to this challenge over the last period of time?
3: Yes, definitely. From the outset of the COVID-19 pandemics, uh, Abu Dhabi Ports groups has worked uh, hard to see uh, to safeguard the well-being of seafarers. When the initial lockdowns began, which forced uh, seafarers arriving at our ports to remain the stations on their respective ships, uh, their health, physicals, and mentals became our highest priorities. In addition to introducing a wide range of well-being services, we also established facilities to all uh, seafarers and crew calling in our uh, ports, such as inter, uh, net, uh, entertainment exercise on land, where seafarers could come on shores on rotations and re-cooperate. We also implemented a new remote capabilities that have aided in protecting port vessels operators, and incoming ships grow through a remote pilotage surface and a host of intelligent shipping applications. If we recall, in 2020, we have unveiled the Horns of Hope's initiative that saw several of world's leading ports encouraging ships within their harbors to sound their horns in gusts of solidarity, conducted in recognition of the invaluable efforts of maritime personnel throughout the pandemics. Abu Dhabi Ports Groups led the initiative to reach more than 260 million people in over 23 countries. Uh, the Horns of Hope involved leading global and regional organizations such as the International Maritime Organizations, IMO, and the, sea, and the Arab Sea Ports Federations. More recently, Abu Dhabi Ports Group enclosed collaborations with the Department of Health Abu Dhabi launched a comprehensive campaign to allow easy access to PCR testing and COVID-19 vaccinations for seafarers. Over 10,000 seafarers were eligible to the initiative in the first phase, which covered all the Abu Dhabi port facilities, including the Dafra region.
1: Captain, as a former seafarer yourself, you will, I know, well understand the challenges which the restrictions on crew transfers as a result of COVID-19, and the sort of effects that they have had on the well-being of of, uh, seafarers. Looking internationally, globally, at the problem and challenge which these circumstances have created, what sorts of solutions do you think can be achieved in terms of governments signing up to a new approach to crew transfers in the future?
3: can recall that during the pandemics where the most of the ports they were uh, resistance to, to receive uh, seafarers. And also because of the most of the airports was stops and restrictions of the, of the travels. Uh, Abu Dhabi ports with the corporations of the nationals uh, and federal authorities within the United Arab Emirates, we have successful uh, and succeeded uh, to manage the, uh, seafarers transfers and exchange within within the countries and that's of course Yeni, is is reflecting how the resilience and flexibility in united arab emirates to conduct exercise during the pandemics and how the support we can uh, contribute toward the seafarers and toward the shipping companies
1: abu dhabi of course has a a great seafaring tradition your part of the world has always been very much engaged in uh, maritime commerce, and has a long history of seafaring. What initiatives are now being taken to encourage the younger generation to consider a career in the maritime industry in the future in Abu Dhabi?
3: From our uh, viewpoints, uh, we are beginning to see uh, an increased interest amongst UE nationals seeking rich and fulfilling uh, careers within the Middle East maritime industry and, of course, empowering the nation's drive uh, for the industrialization and undergoing uh, rapid digitalization. The United Arab Emirates maritime industry is an instrument component of the country's economic prowess and by leveraging a culture of innovations, Abu Dhabi Maritime uh, Academy uh, is equipping would be maritime leaders with the knowledge and tools they need to access a digital leads uh, futures industries. And combining of the latest ultra models, uh, maritime training technologies, and repeated accreditations from leading maritime authorities. The academy uh, is the driving the developments in the next generations of seafarers and uh, port operators. Delivering qualities through accreditations, innovations and researches, uh, comprehensive accredited uh, programs, and industrial leading facilities, we are only the academies in the Middle East to offer a complete maritime uh, education experience. And that's how it will be contributing and also encouraging. UAE national volunteers to participate in the the maritime sector.
1: What sort of scale of uh, operation has the academy reached in terms of numbers, Captain, so far?
3: And this is actually, we, we have run numbers of campaigns in the Abu Dhabi Maritime Academy which uh, we are encouraging and also sponsoring the numbers of students to be engaged in the maritime uh, sectors, whether in the, uh, the shippings or uh, undertaking the medical science uh, studies, or also to participate in the port uh, operator or, or port operations activities. And that's how the contributions it will be added toward their careers, and also to build up sectors that it will be sustained for very long uh, terms and also to contribute to uh, transfer the goods over the world. We've
1: seen the impact of the pandemic on morale for seafarers and there are a number of other issues which have to be taken into account by young people when they consider career at sea. What sort of an impact do you think that the circumstances of, of uh, recent months may have had on the appetite of young Emiratis to go to sea? Uh,
3: in fact, they are very uh, excited and also they are well encouraged uh, to uh, to go uh, on board their vessels and also to expedite and exploring the journeys of sea and transportations in maritime uh, sectors how's the mechanism of the shippings, how's the uh, supply uh, chains is being built in the maritime sectors, how the goods is being transferred over the, the world. All, all that's elements and it's giving them uh, the, the explorations interest to uh, participate in this uh, studies. Uh, also, in the latest campaigns, we we, we have seen that they, they become more interested even in, in, in the studies of, uh, of of the shippings and how the port operations and how the pictures is been built in between the shipping industries and the port operators and how the logistics runs for the goods and how we are making the connectivities across the world. And that, of course, is giving them and the students the awareness. How the challenge they that they, they will start to take in these journeys and how they will add the values in the futures.
1: And as Abu Dhabi continues its progression towards becoming, you know, a world-leading international maritime centre, I guess the importance of having a highly trained maritime indigenous workforce becomes more and more important. I guess that is one of the objectives set by the Maritime Academy for the future. Am I right?
3: You are right, and also today in Abu Dhabi Maritime Academy, which is accredited by the leading maritime authorities uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the countries and in the UAE. Of course, the Abu Dhabi Maritime Academy is equipped with the latest, latest technologies of the uh, equipment which that it can be built a proper and proper structures of the training sessions that will be given to the students.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Maritime Podcast, celebrating World Maritime Day in conversation with Abu Dhabi Ports Group. In this episode, the chairman of Sea Trade Maritime, Chris Heyman, spoke to Captain Anmar Al-Shaiba, Managing Director of Zayed Port, and acting CEO of Ports Operating Company and Kim Larson, Vice President of Commercial and Business Development of Ports for AD Ports Group. To find out more about Abu Dhabi Ports Group, please visit www.adports.ae.